Uh, well, if we haven't met, I am Cami. I am the pastor of children and discipleship here at Lake Point, which means that today I get to be here with you, sharing a little bit of what God's been teaching me. And after today, I will be knee deep, literally, in Little Wise Men and Shepherd and Angels in the Doc Christmas program. So uh, thanks for having me today. I will see you in about a month um, when I return. Um, but uh, if we started a series last week, Brian kicked it off, and he talked about this grief and gratitude seesaw. So if you haven't had a chance to listen or if you weren't here, make sure you go back and check it out. It is just a really cool tool that we can use to, to figure out what's going on in our soul, what's happening in there, how do we pray that out. And uh, so he gave us that tool last week, the grief and gratitude seesaw, and uh, that's going to be going to be a good one. But I'm going to continue today in our passage. Uh, we're going to Mark chapter 5, and uh, I am going to talk about a little different aspect of it. So uh, I'm going to read the two stories. There's two stories going on, and they kind of jump back and forth. So I'm going to read each story separately, uh, just for ease and, and time, and then uh, we'll talk about each one, and then I'll dive into what we're talking about. So uh, chapter Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I'm reading out of the CSB Bible, and I don't know if that makes a difference to anyone, but in case you're like, what the heck, that doesn't look like, like my Bible. <laughs> That's why. Um, so, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. So Jairus is a dad, right? And he is last-ditch effort. My daughter is on her deathbed, and nothing is working. And so we, I heard this man, Jesus is in town. I'm going to go, and I'm going to find him. I'm going to bring him back because I'm a good dad, and I want to save my daughter, right? And so he is experiencing this fear, this this sense of urgency, his heart is racing, he's desperate. And it says he begs earnestly at his feet. Going down further to verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, they're talking about Jesus, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. Now I'm going to paraphrase this next part. He goes with Jairus back to his house, and there is a crowd of people outside of the house, and they are wailing, and they are crying and mourning because this daughter has died. And Jesus says, you guys, she's just sleeping. And what do they do? They laugh at him. They're like, no, she's dead. She's right there. She's dead. We, the doctor told us. And so Jesus goes inside, and he says, little girl, get up. Verse 42, it says, immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. So Jesus comes up to Jairus and says, it's okay. Don't fear. It's okay. Just believe. I got this, right? And then, verse 42, the little girl gets well, and they are astounded. Now, in the middle of this story, we have an interruption, and I think it's so interesting. I, I just love how this is written because it's right smack dab in the middle of the story. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to back up, and I'm going to read you that story. And that starts in verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. 
On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So this is a woman, she's living with a medical condition for 12 years. And i got to admit, when I first read this, I thought, 12 years is not that long, right? I mean, it's really not that long. And then I thought, I've been married for 12 years. And that feels like a lifetime. <laughs> and so uh, it really is. It's a, it's a long time to be living with a disorder and to be seeking doctors and seeking help. And it's not working. It's actually getting worse. And I would imagine that I would have just, at this point, 12 years, I'd be like, that's just how God made me. Let's, this is just what I deal with, right? And I just got to keep moving forward. Um, in fact, I have asthma. And it doesn't flare up often. It flared up just this last week, all this darn warm weather and the leaves and all the things. Like, I, I actually wished for this cold for all of you. I'm sorry. I prayed for it because I needed to breathe. And my friend told me to go sit in the corner and think about what I just said. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but I did it. I did it to you. Uh, but I have never once thought if I would just reach out and ask Jesus for help, if I just reach out and touch his clothing, I'll be healed. I've written it off as this is just the way God made me, and I have to deal with it, right? But not her. She's reaching out. She's asking for help. Verse 30 says, At once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. I kind of think of this like, when you go to a concert, if you've gone to Summerfest or the Rave, and it's standing room only, right? And when you first get there, you have to pack as close to the person in front of you, because if you let anyone in front of you, you're going to get pushed further and further back from the stage, right? And so there is someone right here, there's someone right here, there's someone behind you. You're like boxed in to this spot, right? That's how I think of this passage, Everyone is pushing to go see Jesus, to get close enough to touch him and to be healed. And they're like, Jesus, everyone's touching you. How, like, everyone is touching you. How could you feel one person? And uh, I lost my place. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he had said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what happened to her, came and fell before him. So interesting. Two stories, they're very similar, they're so different, but there's one thing that jumps out in both of these stories for me, and that is fear. And really, fear and anxiety. And so that was what we're going to talk about today, fear, fear and anxiety, and uh, I want to start off by defining them. So fear is an emotion that alerts you to a risk, whereas anxiety is that flight, flight, fight, or freeze response. Say that 10 times fast. Uh, and I heard on a podcast recently that anxiety helps you to survive and fear helps you to thrive. Both are crucial to us as humans. Both brings us back to seeking help. Now, in this passage, Jesus tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And I think often as believers, we read this as don't be afraid, don't ever have fear. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I, say, I think he's saying, you can be afraid, 
but don't let it become your MO. You see, our anxiety, our survival mode, is not designed by God to be a constant state. It's meant to alert us to react in the moment, to seek help. Now, God has taken me on a fun, fun is the wrong word, long journey <laughs> uh, over the last few years on this exact topic of anxiety and fear. And last year, I felt pulled to meditate on the words of Psalm 23. Lord is a shepherd, I, I shall not want, you know, uh, and it was with this idea that I don't have to live in this constant state of panic, this constant state of fear, because the Lord is my shepherd. He protects me. He guides me. He lets me rest, right? I'm going to tell you, I was doing great. I did, I did awesome. So I, I learned it. I was applying it. I wasn't afraid. I was just doing so well. And then my anxiety, I don't know if you're allowed to say this name, but my anxiety said, hold my beer. Like, just, just you wait. Just you wait. So uh, every summer, we like to take a summer, to, or every uh, week, sorry, to unplug and to go camping as a family. And uh, we hike, we sit in the hammock, we read, we do whatever we feel like doing. And it's wonderful. If you don't ever do that, even if you don't, are not a camper, like just take a week and unplug, and it's, it's so good. Uh, but last summer... Uh, in July, we arrived at our campsite, and we unpacked, and the storm is rolling in, so we decide we're just going to call a night. We're going to read in our bed, go to bed early. We're all tired from the traveling. And in the middle of the night, in my sleep, I heard a thud, and I heard my daughter cry out. And I went, it's okay, baby, it's just thunder, right? Because that's what was happening. And at the same time, like, as I'm speaking those words, my husband leaps out of bed over me, because I'm on the outside. He leaps out of bed. He's making this panicked noise and runs to the bunk. And so I'm screaming because my husband's freaking out, and he is the most calm person you've ever met. And he runs over there, and he is blind as a bat. So I have no idea, even to this day, neither of us know how he knew that our daughter had fallen five feet from the top bunk. No idea. That's anxiety. That is our body telling you, fight, flight, or freeze. Something is scary, and you got to go. And uh, that's when mine picked up, too. As soon as he started making a panic noise, I was panicked, and we're all, we're all feeling that anxiety. And now I'm fully awake. We're trying to turn on the light and fight my sleeping daughter. She actually had never woken up. <laughs> which is amazing to me, <laughs> and also scary. Um, so we're trying to wake her up. We're trying to check her over. About a half hour goes past, and we've woken her up enough to check her over. I, we have no idea how she fell. We don't know if she hit something. Uh, we, you know, I'm kind of feeling like maybe we shouldn't have even picked her up, because who knows, maybe she broke something, and I shouldn't have moved her. I have no idea what a concussion looks like. Like, I, you know, so all these things are reeling in my head, and we finally are like, okay, she seems okay. She's awake. She's talking. She's okay. So she curls up next to me, and uh, we decide to go back to bed for the rest of the night. And for all of you who are listening and thinking, how did you let your daughter sleep five feet off the ground without a railing? I just want to show you. She, she had something. It's a cargo net. Look, it, it, there's barely any room at the top. And um, 
we tested it with all five grandchildren. We put each of them in there and they rolled into it to make sure it would hold them. But what we think happened is she got her hand or her leg over it and rolled right over the top. So that's lovely. Uh, so we reinforced it the next day. <laughs> um, but then I couldn't sleep. My husband's snoring next to me. How he goes back to bed right away, I have no idea. Anyone else? <laughs> like, how does that happen? Uh, he's snoring. My daughter is in a deep sleep again, and the anxiety would not go, to way, go away. It just created more questions, like, what if she's not okay? What if she doesn't wake up? And in that moment, I thought, okay, I'm going to open my Bible app because I've been reading Psalm 23, and I get to the verse that says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. And I remember praying, God, I want to trust you. I want to believe that you are with me, even when I go through the darkest valley. But I'm afraid to not be afraid. I'm afraid to trust you because trusting you may mean losing her. See, our anxiety was designed to bring us to a place of reacting to immediate danger. But when we live in constant state of anxiety, it brings us to a place where we can't trust. Going back to our story, Jairus was heading towards that place and Jesus knew it. And he said, don't be afraid, only believe. In much fewer ways, he's saying, don't live in this state of anxiety that you're feeling right now. Use it for what it's intended to, to react, to seek help from me. And then have faith that I'll be with you, even if it doesn't turn out how you think it's going to. Even when you walk through the darkest valley, don't fear danger, for I am with you. Now, in contrast, just a few verses before, Jesus had a woman falling down before him in fear and trembling. And he didn't say, don't be afraid, only believe. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. In another version, it says, be healed and whole. Fear alerts us that there's a risk. It gives us the opportunity to assess the situation, to determine if it's dangerous or if it's worth the risk. But the problem is, the society we live in, the time that we live in, we are told we have to be fearless. We have to be brave. We have to ignore risk. We have to overcome it. But if we're not afraid of the world and the evil that is out to steal and kill and destroy, how are we dependent on God? Fear is what takes us to that place of dependence. The woman in the story, she's dependent on Jesus. She tried all the things in her own might, right? She tried. She couldn't do it. She got worse, actually. But fear brought her to his feet. And in this time in history, we have access to everything. We can see what's happening in another part of the world, in Peru, from anywhere. And we have so much information that we forget that we're only created to see a small piece of it. We were created to have a small vantage point. Our vantage point is limited, but we think it's wide. So when something happens in our lives that's unsettling or uncomfortable, we attempt to solve it ourselves. Asking for help is hard, right? 
But God's vantage point is limitless, and he knows and he sees it all. It doesn't surprise him. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows what's going to happen before you even know. It's kind of like putting together a puzzle, right? If you don't have the box, it's pretty tricky. <laughs> and all you can do is put piece by piece by piece in and build it and build it until you can see the whole picture. But God has that box. He can see the whole thing. He can see you trying to force that piece into the wrong hole because you just want to be finished with it, right? We're so desperate to be whole and to be healed, but we don't depend on the one who can do that for us. So fear leads us there, but faith keeps us there. James 1-2 says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Testing of your faith, assess assessing the risk, seeking help, moving forward, letting it bloom and grow. It's producing that endurance, right? And that endurance is making you mature and complete. Stick with the puzzle. Keep going, even when you don't know what it looks like in the end. Mature and complete, lacking nothing. Just like Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Having faith that even when we walk through the darkest valley, he'll be with us. It's not that we don't fear. And all over the Bible it says, do not fear. I, I really don't believe that that's the way that we were designed. I believe that we were supposed to fear but that our fear makes our faith stronger, our ability to seek him more reflexive. And fear leads us to an abundant life. John 10.10 says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Just like Psalm 23, he promises, He is my shepherd. He has what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He's with me. He comforts me. He prepares a table for me. He gives me goodness and faithful love. He pursues me. And if you're like me and you're saying, great, that's awesome, but how do I do that? <laughs> what does it mean and what do you do with all of it? Ephesians 5.11 says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Verse 13, everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Just like Jesus told the little girl to rise up, he's telling you as well. Your soul is yearning to be released from the fear and the grief and the pain that you carry. And he is desperate, and he is pleading earnestly at the feet of Jesus for you to be saved. Don't move through this life becoming numb to pain. Don't let the world tell you to, be buck, to buck up and be fearless. Those things you feel in your soul, the grief, the gratitude, the fear, the anxiety, it's all leading you to dependence on him, to faith, and to an abundant life. He wants you to have that life. 
You deserve to be healed and whole. You deserve it, whether you think you do or not. That phrase I spoke out loud to God last year, it exposed the fear I still held. It was brought into the light, and as I exposed that, it lost its grip on me. Our fears have the ability to make us numb, to make us walk through this life afraid to take the next step, afraid to step out in faith. They leave us comfortable, for sure, but unsettled, right? As I've exposed and I've spoken out my fear, this year I'm working on contentment, is my word. And I just, I, I want to wake up. I don't want to walk through all of this life feeling like all there is to it is running kids to sports and working and cleaning a house. I want an abundant life. I want to live life. I want to see the things that God sees. I want to feel the things that God feels. Now, this sounds really dumb. Uh, <laughs> and maybe I'll regret saying it. But over the last six months since I've been on this journey, I'm starting to see color again. And I know like the Wizard of Oz, right, when they, the whole thing turns to color. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm experiencing. The last couple of years, I go through a season, like a physical season, fall, spring, where I make it about halfway through the season. I go, oh, hey, the leaves have changed. <laughs> like, I just don't even see it because I'm so, I have my blinders on, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I don't actually look. And this year, I saw every single day of fall. And yesterday, I walked outside and I laughed out loud when the snow was coming down. And I'm seeing sunshine through the trees. I was at our friend's the other day, helping her move. And we're, we're sitting in our living room taking a break. And she probably was so annoyed with me. But I kept saying, your birds are so loud. They're so beautiful. They're so loud. And this is what's happening I've literally had my breath taken away when the moon is low and orange in the sky. Listen to my kids play the piano or we have a 10 second dog pile on the couch and I just feel so much joy. I see my husband again, like I actually see him. I see the weight that he carries. I see the joy that he feels. I want to live life abundantly, not easily, not free from fear. I'm going to be honest with you. This past week or two weeks, I thought, why, God, why did you bring me here? Why can I not go back to two years ago when I was comfortable and I knew what I was supposed to do? I was good at my job. I was good at being a wife. I was good at being a mom. I don't want to wake up. It was easy. But that unsettling in my soul... It drove me to surrender. I want what Philippians 4.12 says. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any of all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things. This is the secret. 
I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we're going to pray in a moment. And if, if that's you, if you're feeling like you want to be released from the grip of darkness, if you're wanting to bring your fears and your grief and your pain out into the light and wake up, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand so I can pray specifically for you. Not yet, just, just when I'm going to get there. And then as you leave today, I want you to make a commitment, not to me, not to anyone else in this room, but to yourself and to God, that you're going to admit those things that you're fearful of. You're going to pray them out. Are you afraid of not being afraid like me? Are you afraid of not having the answers? Are you afraid of not being able to fix it? Are you afraid that God won't love you after what you've done? Are you afraid it's been too long? This woman went 12 years. Are you afraid of failure? I want you to make a commitment to admit them to yourself and then to God and then find a spouse or a trusted friend that you can talk to and admit that out. Let's bow our heads. And go ahead and lift your hands if you're wanting to bring your fear to life. If you're wanting to bring that anxiety that you carry, that weight that you carry, go ahead and lift your hands so I can pray for you. Jesus, Jesus, okay. Jesus, you see those hands. You see those hands. Mine is raised too. Lord, release us. Release us from the burden of having to carry the anxiety, having to carry the grief and the pain that we do. Lord, your promise, your promise is eternal life and your promise is abundance in this life. Even in the middle of this political climate, even in the middle of this social climate, even in the middle of racial injustice and school shootings and suicide, heartache, all the, all the things that are going on in this world, Lord, you promise us an abundant life. It won't be easy, but it'll be full. It'll be filled with joy. It'll be filled with color. Open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts. Help us to have those hard conversations that we need to have. Help us to bring those things into light. It's so scary. But we want to live a life in abundance with you. Yes, I pray a special blessing over every single person with their, with their hand up. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all the fears. Those who look to him, all these people, they're radiant with joy and their faces will never be ashamed. Don't let their junk cause shame and guilt. Don't let the growth cause shame and guilt, Lord. Release us from it. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.